Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Waiting for Game this week. It's a one-on-one -on -one featuring me, Edwin Budding, author of the Book of Melee, and Melee Stats executive producer, with my good friend and a major TO who you might have not seen in quite some time. Everyone, say hi to Juggle Guy. Juggle Guy, how's it going? What's up? I'm doing well, just chilling. Uh, I've been watching some of the, the Melee Stats content or Melee Stats help content like Jeopardy. Uh, you guys put out another video today on like the worst grand finals or whatever. Yeah, yesterday. I, I have a question. Just like there's so many videos where you pick out the like the worst this or worst that. Is it just like a, an exercise in self-loathing that you, you go through <laughs> archives and you like this is the lowest view count of any grand final. So I'm, we're just, it must be super interesting for some weird reason. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because the Mutiking Hungrybox Paragon set, I think is actually quite famous. I don't know if the problem is that it, it's too obscure, but I find that melee stats, whether it's my work, Ambi's work, or Wheat's work, we, we tend to find beauty in the, in the obscure sets and in some of the parts of melee that we pretend don't exist or that people often take for granted but that's not why we're here today we're here today to talk to a major figure in the scene who has for the most part i think is fair to say over the last year and a half been lurking quietly in the shadows sometimes not sometimes not due to your own choice but just for the most part i feel like the last year and a half has been a bit of a break from your usual activity and involvement in the melee scene wouldn't you say so <laughs> You're saying this in such an ominous voice, like, <laughs> like so, the narrator to my life being like, and this is when he entered a very dark and depressing part of <laughs> I'm an ominous man, Juggle Guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it's not really been like that. I've just been chilling. I've uh, I, I bounced around a couple jobs in the last year and a half, so been focused on that. And uh, like Big House, obviously, like it, it's a lot of stuff out of my control the last year uh, or two, so... Like I had to cancel again for 2021, but honestly, uh, to, to be perfectly honest, kind of a bit of a relief because um, I usually have like a very specific vision for what I want to do with an event. And just like this entire past year through that completely off, I like I, I don't necessarily know if it's right to require vaccination among attendees or like how to answer the stuff that happened in 2020 with all the bad apples or like th there's a bunch of rule set needs and wants from the community now. So I like to be perfectly honest, I would uh, be happy to take a seat back and like see how other people are dealing with that first. And then we'll come back really strong next year. Yeah. I, I think that makes sense. I mean, now is, now is a time of massive uncertainty for the scene. We don't know what the future of the pandemic is going to be like. We don't know how long, you know, maybe in-person majors will get, canceled or postponed for a little bit who knows so i definitely yeah. don't en envy you there and i understand you're, you're in a pretty difficult position as is it doesn't surprise me that you'd want to err on the side of caution and at mm -hmm. least look on the bright side of things but why don't we go towards what brought you into melee in the first place and kind of go back to the days before you became juggle guy the big house to and sort of tell us what got you into the scene Ooh man, I was just uh, I was just retelling this uh, on the uh, bottom of the Smash Mountain podcast a few weeks ago, but uh, I think I I got into Smash because of just like YouTube videos, like anybody else. Ken vs PC Chris was one of my first favorite videos, and just like I have a special uh, place in my heart for like Marth vs Fox or Marth vs Falco, 
uh, matchups over the years. Uh, and like, I, I can almost recite like word for word, some of wife's commentary on some of those matches. And like, cause it's just from there, I realized, okay, there's, there's way more to this game than I thought. And there's always like, I always think of it as like, there's a new player entering my tournament and there's two different directions they could go. They could be like, this is way too hard. I'm out of here. Or they could be like, this is way too hard and I'm in, I want to learn more. And that was like kind of where I went. And uh, like, I, I tried to develop Michigan tournaments a little bit more because I felt like we could do better with our events. And then one thing led to another and, you know, Big House is a, a, an event series now and there's a good community in the Midwest. Yeah, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you, like many others, actually had a bit of a history with Brawl. I, I, I'm not sure whether you started off in Brawl and then moved into Melee from there or- Yeah, yeah, or I, I'm a Brawl baby. There's like Doc Babies, there's uh, like Slippy Babies. I, I'm a Brawl baby. Without Brawl, I would not be here. So like, I, I'm I, obviously Ken vs. PC Chris happened before Brawl, but I was just a casual like YouTube observer. I didn't go to any tournaments before Brawl came out. So like, I, I, I did go to some Brawl tournaments and then like eventually it was like Brawl and Melee because the old Melee heads were like, oh, we're clinging onto our old game. And I'm just like, ha, ha, ha. well, Brawl's out now, but I guess I'll enter your tournament anyway. I like Smash. I want to be like Ken. I played Marth back then and I was like, Wait a minute! This this game is pretty dope. <laughs> I'm gonna start uh, entering more of these, and then finally there was a tournament in Chicago. I think it was like early 2009. I've been playing Brawl for almost a year now, and like I finally that was kind of the tipping point where I, I realized, wait a minute, like it, I don't know if there's more to this Brawl game, but Melee, like its community, its its scene, like its content, just seems like. A little bit better so i'm gonna go over there and like i met a lot of cool chicagoland melee players who just like encouraged me during that event and then like there there was melee and brawl at that chicago event that i traveled to and that, I, I think on my way home i decided you know what i i think i'm just gonna do melee like it, i don't care that it's getting half the number of attendees or it, at that point it was like maybe 20 percent of the number of attendees let's be real there's like it, it just makes me happier to play this game let's do it are there any players you'd like to shout out from Chicago, Illinois, Midwest? Yes. Yeah, Kells. I love that guy. He fucking whoops my ass in friendlies and I hate him for it. But at the same time, I love he, he's so lovable. Uh and he's so good. I, I and Big D, he was a big TO in the Chicagoland area. A lot of people don't know about this guy. He played Falcon, Falco, Fox, like every other character. He was like very encouraging. I specifically remember at my first Chicago event, he was like, he was like actually giving me advice and like rooting for me in the background, which he had no idea who I was. It's like, he didn't have to do that. But like one of the examples of a, a community figurehead who like had the right attitude in bringing on new people. And then Rat from Chicago, old school Samus. Yeah, here. that's a that's a throwback. Very old school. Like this, uh, I, I, me and Duck traveled to a lot of Chicago tournaments because at the time Duck was like, I need to become better than rat. And when that happens, then I can finally die happy. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> I'm just going for like, you know, to, to chill. So yeah. And, and then Scythe, a lot of people might know Scythe. He's still playing. I think he's one of the people who's been to every big house. There's only, there's like less than 10 people remaining, but he's one of them. Wow. He's always been a, a super good supporter and homie. And we always have really like, uh, uh, really funny grudge matches like Mario Ditto's on Yoshi's Story every time we uh, meet at a tournament. So, yeah, I'd say those four are, are stick out in Chicago. 
I just want to say this is all incredibly heartwarming to hear, but I am stunned that you did not bring up Dark Rain, who I I was expecting you to say first before anyone okay. else. Okay, the Dark Rain, he was like a mystical figure to me for many years. Also, he's not Chicago, so I right. didn't, no, I, didn't I understand that. that but yeah, he was like in this, in this very uh, niche corner of the, like the corner of the Midwest, which is already like in the middle of nowhere. And like, I don't think I met Darkrai until Show Me Your Moves. I don't know what number, because there's a million of them, but I think it was the one in 2011. Uh, and I picked him up from the airport because I randomly had his phone number from, this is the most random thing, by the way, after Genesis 1, uh, there was no live stream or anything. So somebody was like putting up some, uh, there was like some platform like Discord, but online. I don't remember what it was, but somebody called Darkrain and asked like a, a bunch of questions about what happened on Genesis. And then, like, his phone number was just on the screen, and we're like, oh, huh, that's probably not a good idea. But I took it down because, like, one day this will come in handy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I am an absolute creep, but I made up for it by giving a ride from the airport to show me your moves. So I, I guess a, a follow-up I have to a little bit what you were talking about before with regards to, like, getting more involved as a competitor in Melee is what were your first, like, notable things done outside within the scene as a non-player like what were your what were your first contributions would you say mm, i was a big recording uh enthusiast so like i a lot of people are new and we just have to put them in this mindset there's back in 2009 2010 there's no twitch there's no like we, we have a very small presence on youtube uh there's no twitter like nobody's on twitter it's all smash boards so like after a tournament people would just go on Smashboards and be like, when are you uploading the videos to YouTube? Brandon, when are you going to upload them? Phil, like, I, I want to see the videos. It, it often be days or weeks before you saw the grand finals of a tournament that was super hype. Uh, so like a lot of times it, it was even worse than that. Like the recordings just got lost or corrupted for some reason, or like the TO for God knows what reason decided it wasn't a priority to record these. And I was like, I was one of the first people to be like, wait a minute, no. <laughs> we're going to make like duplicate copies of this. We're going to record it in like the highest quality we can. And we're going to post it in a very timely fashion to YouTube for everybody to see afterwards. And that's going to grow the community. And that's like one of the first initiatives I really like tried to hammer home. Uh, and from there, I think there was like a natural progression of, wait a minute, the TO is not letting me record this or that. Like the top players, they're playing friendlies on a non-recording setup. Damn, this could have made for really good content. How do I make them? play on my setup that's like a recording setup and the next logical step was i become the to and i tell them you have to play in this setup <laughs> <laughs> i think that's how it happened that's it's so weird to think about because i think so many players today and so many people in the scene just in general whether it's spectators you know like people who play no longer play and still watch melee i think we take the wealth of sets we have sometimes a little bit for granted it, you know like going back the the way you describe there being a workflow around uploading videos making sure it actually gets done before the videos yeah. are lost forever mm -hmm. that is that is so wild to me to think about because today there's there's always people playing melee every day you want to look you want to look for a certain matchup you yeah. can find just go on twitch.tv hit the melee category and just like content 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 stream 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 and like i can't keep up like i have people coming up to me like oh my god did you see the latest uh pp versus ibw friendlies i'm like what are you talking about and they're like what do you mean you didn't see their friendly session from this 
this very specific timestamp on twitch.tv uh hidden away in some stream archive i'm like oh my god this like it, it, you would have been you're so spoiled now imagine going back 10 years yeah i mean i think in a way what and you certainly contributed to this with michigan melee but i i want to specifically uh i want to specifically shout out a former guest of the show homemade waffles uh, for being one of the big youtube uploaders and you know the youtube uploader that guy he put mm -hmm. in so much work yeah even even bobby scar cactar uploaded quite a few videos yeah. pac-man was an, another big one i think the the yeah. pgh channel i think was also quite big in terms of so. making sure that uploads happen pgh mm -hmm. in michigan i guess i guess together and yeah we held it down for the midwest we're like two unlikely spots for giant scenes to grow out of but i truly believe like our skill in recording timely and uploading timely matches really contributed to that yeah i actually you know what i want to ask you about one thing and i don't know whether it was you or someone else managing the channel that did this juggle guy were you the person who uploaded the mango versus kage at rom 2 trailer or was that <laughs> someone else that was that was me not only did i upload it <laughs> i edited that entire trailer <laughs> in like windows movie maker or some shit and like I was growing impatient. Here's the story behind that. After ROM 2, uh, it was either Brandon or somebody else who had the recording of Mango and Kage. And everybody's like, oh my God, we saw on the text results that Kage beat Mango. Where are the videos? We need to see this. Like, how the hell did this happen? And then it was like weeks and weeks for, for whatever logistical reason, the videos did not get uploaded. So I got impatient. I made a mango versus kage trailer like a trailer of an upload that didn't happen yet and i posted it and you, you can probably still see this on youtube from like 10 years ago mango versus kage trailer it's great it's so funny it's like the most the most um the scrappy little uh, shitty trailer that anybody has ever seen but uh that's like <laughs> that's apparently what made mango like it was the tipping point where he's, he said wait a minute people don't appreciate me fuck this and then he ended up going scorpion master for like the next year <laughs> so like, in a fucked up way i might have contributed uh to an alternate <laughs> smash history i don't know if yeah if mango mario might not be a thing if that trailer hadn't been released yeah i i mean this is this is a tangent of its own but the idea of an upset being so colossal that there's a trailer made for the future upload yeah, of that exactly. upset is unbelievable for, I think, most Smashers today. The, the, yeah. They could not fathom what a huge upset that was. That I mean, was the 2010 equivalent of an announcement of an announcement. <laughs> it was really awkward. Yeah, I we could we could talk about this forever. I mean, like uh, Kage beating Mango to to me, I still view that as a. I know numerically people could probably point to Lovage beating Leffen, or you know maybe a, an upset where there's a bigger disparity in someone's rank versus like the player like when Flipsy mm -hmm. beat Mango. But I, I still, in my heart, I think Kage versus Mango is truly like one of. I I think it's very difficult to explain to players who are in the scene today how untouchable mango seemed uh -huh. and i know kage had a very good first revival of melee where he beat jman kdj all those and i think he beat asin also but yeah. like the idea of someone beating mango who wasn't like you know armada i guess and even that was that seemed like so out of the or yeah. that was extraordinary on it the, the idea of kage double eliminating mango is just like 
it's so difficult to explain to people like who, who weren't around or don't have the knowledge of what a colossal upset that was. This is like in this in the same year, Mango had just destroyed Mewtwo King at the first ROM, and then right after that, uh, just destroyed everybody at pound four, like basically not dropping a set. So, mm -hmm. so it's up there. I, I mean, I think this leads to a pretty uh, like natural follow up as far as like so you begin hosting your own tournaments because because you want content to upload onto the channel and whatnot. I want to finally be able to tell Mutes King, no, you're not playing in that dark little corner on the 12 inch CRT over there. You're coming to my recording setup. Yeah, and you're playing my box. Yeah, I, yeah no, that's a different story. I was like, I don't care if your Marth technology has to be uploaded to YouTube. We need this to grow to the community. Damn it. <laughs> So, so 2011, 2010, you start running your events, you know, maybe during that era, maybe a little before, maybe a little after. Mm. When does the idea of the big house come into your head? Ooh, the big house was uh, an event completely spun up through the road to Apex circuit. I think it was uh, Apex 2012. They needed uh, different regions to have like qualifier events to to hype up Apex and like I, I think the deal was the winner of each of these events in each region got to uh, fly out to Apex for free uh, and they needed a Midwest event so I was like hey I, I could host one I've been hosting the the sweet series uh, UM and MSU have a really good like base scene we could bring in some uh, some out-of-state players and it'd be really hype and uh, they were like okay you're, you're good to go so uh, and, and I was like, I don't know what to call it, but I, I've always been really bad at coming up with names. And I was like, you know what? Uh, the, the big house is this, this icon in Michigan. We're just going to call it that because people have been calling it that for like a hundred years and it's stuck and that's fine. That, that sounds like a fine name. So that's how it was born. My God, I can't even, uh, I can't imagine the series being called anything else. It just seems like such a no-brainer at this point. The big house, yeah, right? <laughs> I agree. I, hopefully, the University of Michigan doesn't come at me with uh, like some licensing legal shit, like like Nintendo does. But they, <laughs> they, they are within their right to do that, for the record. God, can you imagine if it was if you came up with some like awful name and instead <laughs> of talking about Mango versus Zane of the Big House Nine, we have yeah. to. We have to deal with like God. I, I can't even. I'm, I'm trying to think of like the worst possible. Oh, Sheridan had a great one. Uh, the the gigantic abode, nine. <laughs> yeah, imagine. Imagine legally, I'd be like, okay, fine, rename everything. It's is the gigantic abode. God, I could hear that in Sheridan's voice too, which makes it even funnier. He's dead serious. I can't tell if he's serious or trolling when he suggests these things. <laughs> so what, what kind of lessons did you learn about running a big, you know, I know the big house wasn't a super major at the time, but it was like a big regional with a lot of SoCal talent, a lot of Midwest players there too. What, what were your first takeaways from the event? Uh, takeaways. I, I had become pretty decent at running like sub 100 tournaments and going into big house one, nobody thought it would get a hundred entrants. We were like, yeah, 70, 80. That's like been the peak. Uh, and then we, I think we had like 115 for the first one. And then I quickly realized that there's a lot of shit that needs to happen. If you want to scale to like bigger attendance numbers. Uh, like the first thing is registration. I, I literally had like thousands of dollars in my pocket in a couple of envelopes and like i had to take warlock don with me to the bathroom because i was scared that somebody would take the like the money off of me at big house one so i was like okay online registration we need to do that we need to do this and like a, a ton of things that 
needed to be like set in motion for the blueprint of like a bigger tournament because I, I i felt the trajectory of the scene already i was like this is growing it's not like this is not the peak uh and people are really excited about coming out to these events so like i, I think that that's probably the main like overarching thing that i learned there's a lot of um just entrepreneurial ideas that would otherwise be hard to pull off like in the outside non-melee world that i was able to to try experimentally at, at these events and then it, it, it's just a bonus that the community is supporting me while i'm trying these events and then like it, it's a mutually beneficial thing where people uh pe more people come in and the community grows well can you give me some examples I, I think i know what you're talking about but just for the audience and anyone who might be revisiting this interview just give some example of what kind of ideas that you you implemented for for a smash tournament or or anything like for the first time of any of anything that tod what what do you think you brought to melee i guess it's a good way mm, to put it. um i don't know if there's anything super innovative <laughs> because one through three but uh starting with big house four we i, I think we went from um we went from 170 entrance to 570 from Big House three to four, and Big House four, uh, just like as as a as a setup to this, it was one of the worst tournaments I've ever run. People don't know this; they remember the top eight, they remember Mango Lucky, Mango Mutu King. They don't know that this is actually this is one of the worst tournaments that's ever been run in Michigan because the like the num the tripling of attendance just like kicked our ass, and we were not ready for it. Going into Big House five the next year then like we were actually prepared and I, th I think that's probably what i'm most proud of still it's it's like that was the first event that uh i believe the the first big event that used smash gg i know that for a fact the first big event that used gaming gen as more than just like an equipment vendor like just an actual merch partner and just like uh all, all these different uh things that they help with logistically so um i i, I think those two were like very instrumental in getting the blueprint of like what the modern melee major looks like. And Big House Five, we 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 tripled again. I think it was like sixteen hundred uh, uh, attendees or something, at least for melee. And the the big difference was we had those two people in our corner, and like all the tos had learned from the previous year, like the, the ass kicking that we went through, and we we actually ran a pretty solid tournament. Are there any like norms for to management or like? as far as running an event that you feel like you, you brought toward melee tournament organizing, like a level of professionalism or any, or, or like any, any kind of common practices or organization, organizational organization methods that you think you, you brought that like, what, what do you think was missing before you and your generation of TOs hmm. stepped up? I think what was missing is uh, just the scale again, like the, before 2015, there were very few people who, were scheduling attendees properly so it, it, it would often be a matter of like what literally one dude with like a laptop and a clipboard go goes into the middle of the venue and there's like a giant hundred person bracket and they just shout at the top of their lungs when somebody needs to play and i like i it became very clear to me quickly that that was not the right way to do it it's like there's there should be waves of scheduling so people can come in and out like two hours at a time especially at venues that were like overflowed I think there was like a, there was a couple events on East coast where they literally like had double the fire capacity and like they their asses were saved by the scheduling system where like half, only half the people had to be there at the same time due to uh, waves of scheduling. So like that, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, and then just like the whole setup scenario with gaming gen, uh, I, I think like they're, they're like the unsung heroes 
of the Smash community. No one ever talks about them, but like without gaming gen, none of these majors happen. Are there any uh, are there any contributions like whether in specific tournaments or in terms of like yeah you, you know in, in terms of specific tournaments you mentioned the Big House Five as one that you felt especially proud of in terms of managing well as and also stepping up from the previous year for you uh, what else would you say that you're you're pretty proud of as far as far as tournaments you've managed or toing toing things. Mm, five and nine. I think nine, we had the big advantage of for the first time we were returning to a venue for the third time. And like there, there was just not a lot of like venue bullshit we had to deal with because we had learned all the tricks of, of dealing with that. So like I, I thought Big House nine was better than the first eight combined, honestly. Like it, it was like it was just very smooth sailing for me personally uh, throughout the weekend. So like, I mean, five, five. Oh, oh yeah. I think it was the first one to try the dota style compendium too so like in, in a way i think that laid the groundwork for like uh tournaments like summit to who who came in and were able to like grow the scene even more through people getting really excited about like vote-ins and uh just like a, a process leading up to an event was uh how, how do you feel about so do, do you feel like the big house brought back the idea of high stakes regional crews Ooh, I, I cannot take credit for that. I, I think like the Kishes, it, it, that, that's all their idea. And I, I only did that because I missed Cruz and I asked the Kishes, hey, would it be cool if like uh, at the, the next big Mid Midwest event brought back Cruz? And they were like all for the idea. So, okay. Sweet. Uh, but, but, yeah, but, but you did bring it back then. We I, did I bring that... it back. Yeah. Like that was fun for a number of years. I don't know if we're like, it. it doesn't feel like there's a, a ton of like, pressing interest in that still but anytime that happens and there's like an actual good match between your regions and they're well represented with like all their actual heavy hitters in attendance then it's like people get really hyped about it so yeah we might bring that back again who knows i want to actually go back a little bit to before you became more established as a super major to um we mentioned a, a bit of this on the pre-show but you were actually a writer and contributor to the scene <laughs> in an unofficial way before yeah, yeah. you became known as the big shot juggle guy from the big house. So I wanted to actually ask you, what, what gave you the motivation to continue what I know Alpha Zealot had done with the year in review series? Yeah, Alpha Zealot, that's, that's bringing me back. So like Alpha Zealot had written a Melee year in review, I believe it was like 2007, maybe 2006 and seven. And they were like pretty well written articles, like coming into the scene as a new player, like a brawl baby. I was like, I need to learn more about the melee history. Like I'm very interested in what happened in like 2006, 2007. And his articles really like painted a good picture for me. And I was like, wait, there was nothing for 2008. Why not? Okay, starting in 2009, I'm gonna be the one to write this because like we need new players like, like myself from the previous year to come in and have like a, a good context for what happened and like where they fit into the melee landscape. I think that's just like super important. So like that, that was my main motivation for continuing it. And then uh, I think I wrote it all the way up to like 2014 maybe. And then it, it there's so many events that I, I couldn't keep up. <laughs> so I was like, I need a worthy successor to, to write these years in review and yay, guess who came in? <laughs> well, we, we did something a little different, but this similar, similar concept. You know, yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I love hearing you talk, talk about TOing. Uh, one, one of the things I admire about 
your contributions just you know from my perspective as someone behind the scenes and who who like knows a bit of how different TOs operate is I think uh in addition to obviously my appreciation for you as as a writer and as as a fellow person interested in sports and wanting to bring something similar to melee if I'm getting your gist correct um something something I I think sets you apart from other TOs that and one of the biggest reasons I, I am having you as my guest for my one-on-one -on -one episode is that uh, I think you've done a very good job of managing talent and developing talent underneath you and like putting people in positions of power or influence and honing their skills in a way that I think a lot of other TOs, while they are individually very good at their job, I don't, I don't know if anyone has the track record you do of, of having like, you know, an stat like oh, a structure. Thanks. Of development Dude, that's kind of that's kind of my dream this this nerdy dream of mine is like uh, eventually you, you'll go on a wikipedia page and there's gonna be like a coaching tree kind of like uh like a bill parcells bill belichick situation <laughs> yeah i knew and you'd bring that on like uh and then like romeo cornell and who's the guy who's the guy in the titans uh the coach of the Titans. mike Vrabel. yeah yeah he was like he was under bill belichick too and like there's there's this cool tree and you you see the progression of like philosophies that were transferred and, and and it's like this cool piece of history so yeah I, that thanks for that i try to i try to like use the strengths of our personnel like play to the strengths of our personnel and there, there's a lot of uh really enthusiastic people who want to help like i think it's in our nature to want to help uh uh and they just need to have some guidance on what to do so like whenever i I'm talking with somebody and they, they want to help with big house or another project I'm on. Like I try to approach it with the attitude of like, okay, what do you care about? Like, what do you value the most? And like, you're enthusiastic about, and then let's, let's shape the direction of our creative vision towards that and like leverage your skills to, to help out this product in the end. So you mentioned the juggle guy coaching slash TOing tree. And <laughs> I think it's worth press pressing on that a little further. Who is in that coaching tree for you, or who is in that TO tree for you right now within the scene? Like who, who is under I, the name Juggle Guy? I don't know who's under me. I feel like we need to come back in, in like 20 years. It, it's kind of like reading a history book and it ends at like 1980 because there's just, you need more, more time to elapse, right? Well, so, who are the Mike Vrabel? Who are the current coaches or who are the current TOs that you feel very proud of or that, uh, that have kind of grown under your tutelage or development? I, I don't know if see that's kind of unfair because it's not like the NFL where there's like 30 teams and like half of them need a new head coach every year. Oh like, my god, Rob, just go go along with it. I'm I will to... I will say who's above me. Like I I would like All Kish, right, fair. Kish, Plank, uh, and Sheridan. Those are like uh, and and Rick combo breaker Rick. Those are like the, the, I everything that I've done has been influenced in some way by those four people. Okay. So, so what you're saying is you don't actually have any apprentices hey, that you're hey, proud I, of I yet. I dodged the question enough. Okay. <laughs> they, they all perished. God, I, I, I don't want to be like the Nick Saban where like all the assistants just burn out. Right. And, and don't actually go anywhere. God, dude, I literally mentioned one thing that I, from, I, I know how Michigan operates. One thing I, that pleasantly surprised me and I'm asking you to name names. People are proud of you're not giving them credit. Way to make me look bad. Joe guys. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's okay. At least you have a, if, if you're the parcels of uh, melee journalism <laughs> and writing, I feel like I've earned my place as the, as the bell check. Of, of, of <laughs> that, melee that, that's a good, 
comparison. Dude, I'm going to be in Boston uh, next month for the Labor Cup. I don't know if you uh, told you that. Oh. No, you, you didn't. I didn't. I didn't know that. I, I live in like the north end of the city. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. I'm pretty excited. Like I, I haven't bought a flight since Genesis in 2020. So this is the first time I'm going. And the, But unfortunately, Roger Federer just uh, announced that he's out with like a knee injury for the next few months. So unfortunately, Shame. not going to see him, but I'll settle for Nadal or Djokovic. Is there anything like in part, like any thoughts you've had on how rollback events have operated in the scene for the last like year and a half, like ways that they could be optimized or ideas that you would have? I know that, you know, obviously because, because of IP issues with like Nintendo and everything, you haven't been able to run the big house uh, on a rollback mm -hmm. format, but you know, as a sincere TO, I want to hear your thoughts and like ways that the, the rollback uh, medium of play can be honed in a way that's best for an online infrastructure. Mm -hmm. I kind of want to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, with online, the biggest advantage is you don't need setups because everybody has their own setup. So I think whatever event uh, is trying to do, it should take advantage of that fact. Uh, and most people who are playing in an online event right now, they're like the super serious crowd. Like we're already the, the like, you, you think about the Melee community as the 1% top echelon of all the Smash players in the world. Like there is like the 1% of the 1%, and those are the people grinding on Slippy. And I think that's fine. You can cater to them. Uh, and the way to do that is put more sets on the table uh, because of the lack of like setup constraints that you have. There's no such thing as like setup utilization constraints. So like I, I think, uh, what is it called? Training mode Tuesday in uh, SoCal. Yeah, Kadorans. <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I've heard they have a format that leverages this really well. So like more things like that where it's like, you're just constantly playing match after match after match. It doesn't matter if like th there's no clean bracket at the end to look at maybe, but it's just like all about the playing time, which has been lacking at the in-person events where you need to kick people off for tournament. You can't play friendlies or whatever. How do you see the future of a series like SCL uh, fitting into the the offline infrastructure? Like, do you think that there could be something like? people who place well at SEL or people who finish who finish in division one or qualify for a division get invited to a future major series or something like how how do you see SEL kind of fitting in oh you mean like landscape? online qualifier events for in-person majors yeah for qualifiers for like getting invited or if in-person mm -hmm. majors started started having like not so much bounties but rewards for players who players who perform well on 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 a premier rollback event when they may not have an opportunity otherwise because of travel restrictions or anything it's like really that. interesting yeah so you're saying there might be uh some hidden boss in the middle of nowhere who lacks the funds to travel to an in-person event but maybe they're super good and we need to give them the opportunity to prove themselves online and then maybe if there's something like uh, the qualifier format where they get flown out to some bigger event yeah event, that's interesting. I, I I mean, I think I support that in general. Uh, it's it's hard because there's a lot of the pro players who still enter the uh, online events too. So like if you, if, if uh, some MIOM top, uh, top 10 player wins it, are you still going to give them the flight? Like, or is there some cutoff where you're like, okay, we, we want to support, we want to put these funds towards somebody who otherwise would not be able to do it. So like, that's kind of hard to define. But in general, I support that idea. I, I think that hasn't really been explored that much. And 
that, that that'd be something to look at. So all in all, would you say that, you know, the rollback infrastructure as is could, is very well compatible with the return of in-person majors and regionals? Hmm. Compatible. Or do you think, or do you think rollback should just be its own thing? Uh, I go back and forth on this. Like, I, I think it's compatible in that you could, you, you could have some more creative ideas on how to, how to have somebody move from one format to the other. Uh, and on the other hand, it might lead to like an oversaturation of events maybe. And we, we need even more careful management of the smash calendar that that's kind of been haphazard in the past. So yeah, the, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of ideas. I, I think online melee will continue to be a thing though now that it's so accessible through slippy uh it's just like the i don't know if there's going to be really really big events like scl after in person comes back like in full force in 2022 it, it might be like on a lesser scale but still like i think the existence of that is like a, very beneficial to the growth of the community i used to be kind of like a net play skeptic like huh mm -hmm. people are staying home they're not going to locals they're playing net play instead that must be bad but no, 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 that, that I quickly realized the error of my ways. Like that, that's just more playing time. It's not like taking away net play would make them get off their asses and go to a tournament. It's like some people just don't, aren't afforded that opportunity and it's better for them to be playing online than not playing at all. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. Uh, how do you see, um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe you're not sure of this, but as far as your local scene or, or as far as the state of Michigan, how, how how do you how do you see the future of kind of like because I, I know you guys used to have the, the sweet series way back uh, mm -hmm. do do you think Michigan will go to a form do you think it's more likely that Michigan and other regions will go to a format where maybe the weeklies are rollback events but once a month there's an in person monthly or regional then the major series at the end of the year or what how do you think. I think people are really excited to go back to in-person uh, and that's true, it, especially in Michigan. I, I feel like people are very uh, enthusiastic about playing like seriouslys online or doubles online. Uh, but like there, I think like, uh, like Omar Heartstrings, he hosted a smash fest in person, first in-person smash fest in like almost two years, uh, a few weeks ago. And I think like, the capacity for the room was like 30 people and like twice the number showed up and he had to be like, wait a minute, guys, there's, there's too many people confirming on the Facebook event. You, 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 you don't actually have to come. Okay. We, we might have to do a wait list or something. Just uh, feel free to not come. <laughs> there's too many people. So like pe people are very enthusiastic about coming back. I, I think like um, I, I, the stronger a local scene was before, I think the more enthusiastic they will be to get back to that. Okay. So I actually have a last question and a topic I want to I want to bring up. This is a bit more serious. As far as uh like you know we don't know how the future of the pandemic will will turn out. We don't know if in person events will have to be canceled or if they'll be postponed or whatnot. But mm -hmm. I want to actually get your get your like good faith thoughts on this. What are some of the like as far as the potential of vaccine mandate or a mask mandate at at events from from a to and a logistical perspective as well as like a liability perspective can mm -hmm. you kind of give us a uh you know i don't know if the big house will return in 2022 if, if all goes well it will but sort of can you give a first-time listener or someone who's not familiar with you know toing a rundown into the mind of like what, what would a to have to consider when it comes to things like a like a vaccine mandate or a mask mandate for in-person events or anything like that yeah, I don't 
I, I, I'm not going to pretend to know like all the risks associated uh, with um, people who are vaccinated, but like how, how risky is it that they still transmit uh, the Delta variant or whatever. But like if, if that risk is not negligible, then I think it, it is a pretty good idea to require masks uh, and or vaccines at events, at least for the time being. Uh, again, like it's such an evolving thing that I like six months from now, we could be looking back at this and think this is silly, but like, it, it feels like the right way to do it moving forward. Uh, logistically, I don't know how to pull that off though. Cause um, I know, for example, like the university of Michigan, they're requiring all the students to be vaccinated uh, in the fall, but they have this, like, they have some third party system where there was a like vaccine verification and you, sub okay. you like, literally upload your vaccine card and you have the rec number, the rec lot number, I think it's called. And then they verify that through some third party uh, uh, contractor who, and I don't know how to get access to that. Like, I'm not personally interested in having every attendee upload vaccine cards and like looking through them one by one. And it's like, you're, you're playing that video game, like papers, please. And you're trying to figure out who, like if any of this, this shit is fake or not. I'm not interested in doing that. I, I would like to outsource that to whoever like, um is using and but i just don't know how to do that yet so um i i like i if if i had to make that decision now i think i would lean towards yeah require it um but like logistically i don't know where i would start and that that's like a different headache for tos for sure what would you i mean i don't think i i, I know there are some prominent i wouldn't even say prominent like there might be some vocal voices but like i i don't think that like melee would have a vaccine hesitancy problem but like I, I do think one thing that that's worth considering as 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 far as like this goes is like you know like would, it, would a player sue a tournament series if they weren't allowed like mm. for, like for for like that that's kind of what's on my my mind is this something that you've you've thought about <laughs> oh man uh I, I haven't thought about that i i feel like the it just intuitively i feel like the melee scene would not be vaccine hesitant but of course like i know there's there's people who have their reasons and like i i would respect a whole host of reasons too so like there has to be some safety valve in, in terms of like if if someone really can't get the vaccine or, or whatever then like some 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 safety measures in place to make sure that it's still a good environment oh, oh like uh, okay i i I think I see you. I'm just going to be clear for so that everyone hearing does not get the wrong reception. This is not an anti-vax pod podcast. Please, please get vaccinated. We, we are only talking about the potential future of this incredibly hot bubble that, of a, of a, yeah. of a uh, cli climate that we're in right now. Go get, go get vaccinated if you're, if you're not vaccinated. But I, yeah. I do think it's a, it's a important consideration to think about. And I think you gave a, a good answer. I mean, we don't know how this will turn out. We don't know how, like, I, I, I would like to think that the community would respond pretty reasonably to something like a mandate or, or let alone a mask mandate or anything like that. But who knows? I have hope <clears throat> there was a, the, the, one of the biggest, uh, I think the biggest in-person magic event since the pandemic started just happened uh, called the Hunter Burton Memorial open down in Texas, uh, this past weekend. And I, I, I've always like, I've, I've tried to get the pulse of community because Melee and Magic have like a lot of similar attitudes and there was like full compliance, not a single issue at all down there this past weekend. So I would like to think the same would happen in Melee. Yeah. So I guess what, why don't we move on to something a little lighter then? Um, one of the 
topics that I prepared for this show was talking about the best big house sets ever. So uh -huh. the first one I want to talk about is my pick for number one. And I think it's a top three set of all time. If not, <clears throat> if not having an argument for the goat, I truly think that the last set of the, the most recent set of the big house that, hmm. that came about, you know, a little <clears throat> under two years ago was, was uh, one of the greatest sets, one of like the three yeah. greatest sets ever. I, I, I'm with you there. I just like very quickly put together like five sets that um, like earlier today, five sets that I think would be on my list. And that that's easily number one. And I like there, there's a, there's a, 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 people are always like recency bias, you know, look at everything objectively, but no, that was actually just a phenomenal set. And I, I think, yeah, maybe like a top three set of all time. I think the game on FD that Zane like barely mm -hmm. won is legit one of the most exciting like matches of melee. I've, oh yeah, I've that was seen. an ass clincher, dude. Mm -hmm. By the way, we're talking about Manga vs Zane Big House Nine Grand Finals. I, like we we both know this with like this telepathic stats connection, but like anybody doesn't realize. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's so wild to me that in the span of two years we had Mango versus Zane at the Big House <laughs> Nine. Mango versus Zane at Smash Summit 11, and mm. two and both those sets have an argument to be the greatest set of all time. Oh yeah, in my opinion. I completely agree. And just uh just for reference, when when Melee Stats actually had a had a for fun bracket of all the greatest sets in Melee history with I saw that. Our yeah. fans in our server, Mango versus Zane at the Big House Nine made the made the final two. It yes. it just fell short of mango versus armada at genesis which you know it's it's a difficult I, barometer to top no but. no complaints here i would have voted for uh mango armada genesis one as well so we both agree that mango versus zane at the big house nine is the greatest big house set of all time i i would say so yeah yeah what would you say is your number two i have a you said you brought up five sets i have i have five also i have a bit of a uh, weird one for number two, two that i think gets slept on Two through five is like a mix for me. I don't think there's any particular order, but um, I, I've always been a fan of Mango vs. Armada at Big House 6. Yeah, that, um, that's what I had at number two also. Yeah, yeah. And th here's the weird part. I think I, I, I don't... I get my sets mixed up. I know they played 14 games, so three sets. Uh, but I think it was the winner's semis where Mango reversed 3-0's Armada. And you might know this better than I do, but I... I can't remember any other instance where Amada gets reverse 3-0'd in his career. Like, do, do you know of off the top? I would of have head? to, I would frankly have to look it up. I, 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 I want to say that is the only time he's ever been reverse 3-0'd and that that's like phenomenal how Mango did it. And I, I it was, it was so hype at the end. It was FD game five, like mm -hmm. sim, just similar to how he did that to Zane a couple weeks ago. But yeah, uh, I would say the winner semi set from big house six Mango Armada. Yeah, when when I say Mango Armada, I mean I mean all all three sets they played at Big House Six. Yeah. But I agree that one of the most memorable moments was definitely him beating Armada twice on FD. And I think uh, I think it's worth noting for that tournament as well. Like, I feel like it gets slept on because about half a year later or a little over half a year later, Mango and Armada had that 15 game, you know, slug fest at Royal flush that I think everyone remembers because it was the end of Armada's <clears throat> massive tournament streak where he was just winning mm -hmm. majors back and forth. And that's a good one. Yeah. And I think there's, there, there's a, 
there's something kind of funny and poetic to it because Mango versus Armada at the Big House Six happened right before that stretch from Armada, and Mango versus Armada at Royal Flush was the end of, the, of that stretch. Of yeah, the time. Mango just bookends every Armada run. <laughs> He's yeah. the only one who could stop it. Sure. But in the middle, but in the middle of the Armada, in the middle of the run, he gets trounced. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I yeah. think that's such a. And it was such a great grand finals too, because I think the big house six just in general was such a crazy tournament. I mean, you had, you had like silent wolf beating music King. You had ice randomly in winners finals. Like, what, okay. What yeah. That? I, ice for silent wolf is like, nobody has ever talked about this, but that's mm-hmm. a sleeper pick for like one of the top, I mean, probably top 10 big house sets of all time. It was like last stock every single game, like very, fun, very fun to watch. Yeah, and Mewtwo had that big losers run. Also, I I believe the Big House Six was R two D Lu versus Axe, one of the one of the biggest upsets in melee history. I, yeah, that was there was a lot of upsets at that one. I think that's when uh, Zane beat Plup for the first time, and this is mm-hmm. back when Zane was get like he he finished like seventeenth at this tournament. He was not like a, a huge name at all, so that was really fun too. Yeah, I mean that. That was such a wild tournament. And I think top eight in a weird way, like because Mango versus Armada was so memorable, I think uh okay. I, I think it like it saved an otherwise very or not saved, like it was a great tournament, but like I think it was a great ending to an otherwise kind of strange top eight where you had things like yeah. Harubox rolling on the rolling <laughs> on the stage. <laughs> strange is a very good way to put it. Yeah, there was a yeah. weird vibe to it. Like it is it, it like you're watching Hungrybox crumble. He's, he's, he's having a breakdown or something. You feel really bad for him. S-Fat just like 3-0'd him in like eight minutes. It was crazy. Yeah. God, we were, we were talking about the... I, I'm sorry, but I, I want to go back to the Big House 9 for a second because I feel bad for this because... Or I don't feel bad. It's more like I think Mango versus Zane was so incredible in part because of two of the sets which came before it of mango versus leffen and mango or i i have the order mixed up but mango versus leffen and mango versus fiction i think are two at like if it weren't for the fact that like if zane just destroyed destroyed mango in those grand finals we'd be talking about mango versus leffen and fiction those two are other <laughs> that's true dude mango he just like defies the odds i'm pretty sure he was down 2-1 in all of these sets and just like every single time it, it, you feel like it, going back to the vods you feel like one like, if he gets hit one more time in this game four when he's down two one, it's it's over. This run never happens, and it just happens like over and over and over. I don't know what it is. God, and, and like we're even before top A, Mewtwo King beating IBDW and Hungry Box. Yes, okay, Mewtwo King IBDW, another sleeper pick for a top ten set from Big House because like that the ending was just I I I have no idea why Mewtwo King decided to go for what he did at the end. It was like the most risky. He did like a forward air. It was kind of like a Ken combo without the double jump. He did a forward air into like down uh, down air on IBDW. Game five, last stock. And it just hits. And IBDW dies like pixels before Mewtwo King dies. They're both like at the bottom of the stage. It was That's wild. I've never seen him like end on that in the decision tree before. You know what I mean? It's, it's just like this weird moment. Like, wait, what? Was that actually Mewtwo King who decided to go for that? Holy shit yeah it was it was what i mean i don't know if i would give it i i was just excited because it was mute king coming back and doing well every fox mm. player i know hates that set every <laughs> fox player i know while they were watching that set 
as soon as Mute King went to the ledge last stock and was at like 91%, <laughs> every Fox player, be it my friends from UConn, be it my dear Melee Stats comrade, Ambus Sinister, was messaging like, this is over. This is so boring. Why does Mute King always do this? It's not even fun. We just know he's going to win. <laughs> The, the yeah. chillin and vish on commentary knew that too there's like yeah. oh and he goes to the ledge he goes to his home yeah. <laughs> this is uh he's down 90 percent last stock but this is probably over you know i so we talked about mango versus zane at number one we talked about mango versus armada at number two now mm -hmm. i want to hear your number three i i have a pretty textbook choice but i want to want to see what you have hmm uh i i I haven't even decided. I have three sets written down. I'm just gonna go with um, Mewtwo King Hungry Box Big House Three Winners Finals. Oh, and, and, and how, how that was pretty. I I understand the the historical context of that set. You know, Mewtwo King beating Hungry Box at the time was mm -hmm. so was so crazy. But I, what was that like a three one or three zero? Oh, I honestly can't remember what it was. I think it was a three one, um, but. I that that just marked like this huge shift I think uh in in their trajectories for the next year or so and uh it, it was the first time it felt like a, a really really uh like momentous event at a major for me so like I I I felt like that was uh deserving of a spot yeah I think I big house three in general I think has a lot of a like I'm, I'm not sure that about the quality of the set itself. Like, I, like yeah. they're they're fun <laughs> sets, but I think the context behind, like, you know, Mewtwo King beating Pee Pee and Hungry Box at a major is pretty. Yeah. You know, the whole Return of the King storyline is great. Even, yeah, even Pee Pee versus Hungry Box. I think, like, while it's a little overstated, I, I still think that's a great set. Like, the there's all the out of game the, shenanigans. The theatrics carried that set. <laughs> yeah, I mean. All right, so number three, I have Hanky Panky versus Scar at the Big House Two. Whoa. No, I, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I, I, have that. <laughs> I was like, uh, is this man serious? No, I, I went with a much more, I went the much more textbook pick. Uh, I, I picked the greatest friendly session in tournament of all time, aka Mango versus Lucky at the Big House mm -hmm. Four. I feel like, as much as it's easy to kind of like look back on the set as dated or just like another Mango versus Lucky session, like I, I. I have heard too many people tell me how they got into the scene because of Mango versus Lucky at the Big House Four, and I've, and I know it is such a celebrated set. I think it, I think you know, while some of it is because of symbolism and you know just who Mango and Lucky are, I do think it's a very entertaining set to watch. The, the greatest friendly session on a major main stage <laughs> is like a very good way to put it. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, I, I think. Um, I think that's actually, I was talking about Ambi Sinister before. I, I believe that's actually how he put it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch of Reddit threads that pop up. It's like, uh, must see melee sets. And that's always like near the top. Yeah. Oh, a lot of people did actually get into this from, from that set. There's just like some, some like magical camaraderie about it. Well, yeah, it's Falco Fox. It's two popular players from Norwalk, <laughs> two two flashy, aggressive players. I mean, I think the maybe a little overstated, but like two very exciting players for sure, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. I the the thing is the Big House Four top eight. There's like so many good sets that it was very hard for me to pick out one. Uh, like you could make a case for Mango Leffen, for Lucky West Balls, Mango mm -hmm. Mutant King. Lucky West Balls is a I, great I, I, I have Mango Mutant King Grand Finals as uh, as one of the 
the top sets. And uh, honestly, like, I, I think Mango and Mutant King have not had the greatest gameplay in, in their sets I agree. over their mm -hmm. lifetime. Like, they, they, they have a nice rivalry, but it's, like, very swingy. Uh, somebody usually dominates one way or the other. Yeah, I think they play a lot of sloppy sets, or one of them just steamrolls the other. Yeah, yeah. And I think it makes sense, given their play styles, that one would steamroll. It's like a very snowball-y effect whenever they mm -hmm. play a set. But, like, I think Big House 4 was a good showcase of, like, uh, they they were... The Grand Finals, I think, were pretty competitive throughout. I, I think it was a 3-1-3-1, but, like, all the games were, like, pretty competitive. Yeah, and, I mean, even the 3-0, like, all of them were very last-stock games. Like, yeah. And, and winners. Yeah, so that, that that's that's my number four if I had to choose. Uh, although like Big House four top eight just like lumped that into one. I, I, it, it was like it was a very very fun top eight to watch for Dude, sure. Dude, I think Big House four has so many great sets out of top eight. Also, I mean, you got like Mango versus Hacks. You got Shroom <laughs> versus Leffen. You got Dart versus Shroomed. Like oh yeah yeah Hacks versus Kalamazoo. Yeah Hacks uh, versus Kalamazoo was was actually yeah. it it didn't make my top five but I think that's one of the craziest uh, sets ever. That was the especially like the 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 way uh, the commentator sold Kalamazoo of the guy <laughs> studying Armada and falling asleep <laughs> in the background at events. I think that that was a great um, I think that's a great set. But my number four again going a little boring here. I I think Plup versus Armada at the Big House Seven has to be considered one. Yep, you you got my number five right there. We're on the same wavelength here. I I think uh, Plup versus Armada is like under discussed because that was really I I'm pretty sure that was the win that pushed things over the edge. Like Armada had not lost anybody outside of the top six since Silent Spectre in 2010. So 2010 well, to 2017, right? And then Plup finally does it. So I, I have a few thoughts on this. I think that the streak actually ended when Leffen beat Armada. Oh, yeah. I mean, semantics. This, yeah, always, I, the, the five gods thing, come on. That's a, that's a facade. It's always been the big six. I think that people were just willing, people stretched the streak to mean a player who we all know will never win a super major beat, okay. beat Ar Armada. Sure. That's what, and then, and then that, that got proven false too, because Plup won Genesis. Yeah. So, so then when Swedish <laughs> Delight beat Armada, everyone was yeah. like, the streak, now we know the streak. It low key was exactly. an insult to Swedish. Poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> He's accomplished so much in his career. I, yeah. I think that, that's a fair point. But like at the time, it, it felt very like very groundbreaking. Well, and I think it feels groundbreaking because beating Armada on its own is such a tremendous accomplishment, and it was an exciting set too. I know, like you can say maybe maybe Armada didn't play great or whatever, but like by the way, I hate it when people say that for exciting sets. Who cares? Like players play in a range of results. If someone is playing like noticeably different than their usual, sometimes yeah. it's exciting, right? No, it, it's like people forget that you can disrupt your opponent in this game. And like yeah, one person playing too. bad, it's it's never independent of the other player playing really well and disrupting the game plan of the other player. It's not, you're, you're not two players playing solitaire here. It's like there's <laughs> constant interactions here. It's like people always forget that. I don't know why. Yeah, it, exactly. I mean, I, 
I remember wa- watching Plup versus Armada, and I and I remember standing up like at the very end of the <laughs> like I, I was I was in my room or whatever, and I literally stood up because I was so excited because like like even outside of all, all the streak stuff, I, I know I was making fun of it before, but just like beating Armada, that came in the same year where Armada Armada tore S2J's heart out. Like he, oh my god, he also, he also had that huge. I, I I forget if it was afterward or if it came a little before, but like. You know, all those sets where players, it, it seems so close, like, oh, my God, they're going to beat Armada. And, and mm-hmm. it, it just never happened. For Plup to actually do it in a, in a four-game set, I mean, I just think, like, that that has to be up there for great big house moments, in my that, opinion. I, I'm with you there. I think I think that's you, – you have my five. <laughs> so I, I have a fifth one, too, which, which I think is admittedly silly. And I believe uh, – I may have actually put this like fairly down in my initial top 100 sets of all time list. And uh, I might have to revisit that at some point, but my number five that I have is actually a bait versus S2J at, at the big house five. Ooh, I, interesting. And the, the reason I think that's one of the best sets ever is because I think it encapsulates, um, I, I obviously like there's the invisible ceiling glitch at the end of it and everything, <laughs> but I love the, you know, like regional hero of a bait coming into the big house five, having a massive, having a, having a great major performance, with like all of Pittsburgh behind him. You know, they even had their own sect of the crowd and everything, <laughs> which, which to me is so funny, like in a, in a melee tournament, you know, everyone's got a little bit of outcast in them or whatever, like not like, and, and like, you know, like it's definitely like a bit more, abnormal people than usual and then you have Pittsburgh <laughs> who have their own section right. i i just love it I, so that's exciting and features a character who you know for the most part i hate luigi let, let it be known <laughs> but you know featuring a character you don't often see in a in a top eight there's stadium. a lot of novelty to it and like yeah. we, we have that set to thank for like single-handedly the biggest educational moment in the history of melee where everybody learned about the invisible seal <laughs> Like there, there is that as well. The <laughs> yeah, most Pittsburgh always goes hard. I, I love Pittsburgh. I think the Big House Six was when we had uh, a camera person. We were allowed the camera person to go like the pan to the crowd after each set, and having some of the Pittsburgh players' reactions like really sold the gravity of that moment. I think. Yeah, I mean, there's just uh, I think uh, uh, of the Big House Five. Like, I would say that. Uh, on a, a very slept on set also duck versus swedish delight and i think even the when hung even like people people discount it because it came during the stretch when it seemed like hungry box had like right before it seemed like hungry box turned the corner on mango or, or at least had become a more like formidable mm-hmm. rival like you know evo 2015 before that mango kind of washed hungry box and i think the big house five when hungry box beat him for that other time in a row that yeah. people forget how exciting that set was because like, because of what came after it. Right. Like, you know, for yeah. most of 2016 hungry for a lot of, or at least for a lot of 2016 hungry rocks beat Nango pretty solidly, but big house five, like he showed that it wasn't a, it wasn't that like, while Evo 15, he might've gotten lucky this time he like earned it. You know, mm-hmm. I think, I think people forget about it because of all the unfortunate, like the, the association <laughs> we have with hungry rocks mango. I, I'm down for a bait SDJ up there. That's just like yeah. that's the pookie set that that just like slips its way in, kind of like how a bait slipped into top eight, just like you know, super random funny event. Yeah, dude. I think for like so I I think that's a pretty good top five. Mewtwo King versus Mango at Big House Four. I I do think those three one sets and even the three zero and winner semis are are very entertaining. Like I mm-hmm. 
I think I remember being so heartbroken. I was like a Mute King and like Marth fan at the end <laughs> because it was the worst. You got to keep in mind, like it was the worst possible result for me. Not only did Mute King 3-0 him with Sheik and I hated Mute King <laughs> Sheik, but I, yeah. I wanted him to go yeah. Marth. He refused to go Sheik or he went only Marth and Grands and lost. <laughs> so he, he didn't win. He lost with Marth and he won with the character that I had been telling all my friends that Mute King should drop. It was the worst I, possible that's result. So funny. I remember I think Blur was in the venue and like he, he saw Mute King start Marth uh, in grand finals and he just turns to me and goes like, I don't know what's going on here, but I like it. Let's go. Oh no. <laughs> the kiss of death. <laughs> I, yeah. Oh, you think Blur cursed yeah. Mute King into losing? Yeah, it's so it's funny. Like, He's like uh, popping off when Mute King does something. Then he pops off when Mango does something because he loves Mango so much. He's right. just like the happiest guy of the entire Grand Finals. That's so funny. It's it's so funny. We, we were talking about Mute King Mango before. When I got into Melee, that was the rivalry that got me into it. Like I loved Mute King's Marth. I loved all of Mango's characters. Like I I loved watching those two play. And it's so funny being in the scene for a bit longer, having being more familiar with the other rivalries and watching it. You know, Mute King versus Mango will always have a place in my heart just as a rivalry that introduced me to Melee. But God, so many of their sets are just like forgettable. <laughs> <laughs> or very anticlimactic. Like they just suck. Yeah. yeah. Like the exciting it's, ones like, are where they both play sloppy. an actual quality set between those two gameplay-wise that like very surprising. I think for... Um, for other great big house sets i don't know if I, I i probably wouldn't have these in my top five but like i think both rishi sets at the big house eight are great zane versus rishi and rishi mm -hmm. rishi versus laud like those the, those two had an incredible set at the big house that nobody knows about rishi's insane comeback on laud because of the because of the marth ditto with zane but like that that oh, set rishi yeah. versus laud very slept on even i didn't know about that <laughs> whoops <laughs> okay zane versus rishi i, I agree that that's uh that's like a, a an honorable mention. <clears throat> S Fat versus Fly, I thought was pretty fun. Yeah, I, I was just about to, I was about to mention S Fat <laughs> versus Fly and H Box versus Ryan Ford. I think are very <clears throat> yeah, yeah yeah yeah. Those are like two game five very intense sets. Like it just like they happened so long ago that most people don't know about them. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I don't have a recording of this, but I I listed this down because I know for a fact that it did indeed happen. I think. If anyone has footage of Matt.Zeb versus Prince Abu, a 2-1 set that supposedly ended on Prince Abu hitting a phantom rest uh, <laughs> on Matt.Zeb uh, and then immediately getting rest punished, like when he was at high percent and then dying afterward. I've heard about this. <clears throat> I, I have to imagine it was not recorded, otherwise we would have seen it. Yeah, in the uh, in the Hanky Panky Melee Stats film, I couldn't find a recording of it, so I just took a footage of someone hitting a phantom rest and Matt Zeb was like whoa where'd you get that footage from and I was like no that's not <laughs> or, or it was Matt Zeb or someone else I was like no dude yeah. that's not that's not no, you dude it should have been a dead giveaway this thing looks like it, it's in dolphin <laughs> it should be a dead giveaway it's old footage and there's four stocks yeah, four <laughs> stocks. yeah. we just recreated this but ev literally everything about it is wrong except the phantom rest you know I I'm thinking of uh like the best sets from the big house one and at least from like what i could find i think lovage versus duck and lovage versus vans were very exciting for the time but one of the results uh 
you know, maybe my history's a little off, but I was surprised. But I believe Kirby Kaze beating Ryan Ford in like 2011 was was a particularly big deal because Ryan Ford used to like really whoop him in bracket. Like it, he used to win o- yeah. win over him a lot. I remember this pretty specifically because like um, it, back then it was like uh, SoCal SJ Lovage versus Canada uh, Ray Nex, Ryan Ford Kirby Kaze versus Chicago. Michigan was irrelevant. Doug, Doug had not had his breakout tournament yet, but it was like those three regions fighting for the top of the big house one bracket. And I think Kirby Kaze was like pretty upset that he got paired with Ryan Ford uh, in losers. I don't losers seventh place maybe, but um, he like, he, he rose to the challenge and, and beat him for the first time in a while. And then uh, S2J versus Kirby Kaze, I thought it was really fun too. Yeah. That, yeah. I think those are, those are good choices. God, there's there's so many great big house sets to to talk about. Like I, I don't even know where where to. Uh, we could have this conversation all day. So okay. I mean, w- without further ado, then why don't we move on to like the broader topic of the Midwest? You know, both you and I are sports fans. We love we love great goat discussions, whether it's melee or football or whatnot. But today, I want to talk about something a little more niche of with um. A little more of a niche goat discussion within melee, which which is all about the greatest Midwest players ever. Now, I'm a Smash historian. I wrote a book on melee. Today is a three year or the two year anniversary when I wrote that book. If you like it, oh really? It yeah. If you, if you like it, you can check it out. The book of melee on on, on Amazon or Smashwords. Um, I I want to talk about the greatest Midwest players ever because I'm with someone who tos Midwest tournaments, who's been part of the Midwest scene for a decade. For about a decade and more, it, so it took every ounce in my body to not have my bias show through and put Dark Rand at the top here. Uh, mm. but, like we we were we talked about this briefly earlier, but we we Dreffen, Dark Rand, and Duck. I think those are probably the three in contention for the title of like greatest Midwest player. How would you differentiate between those three? Because I th- I too was hard. very. It's very hard because none of them stand out as like like won a big big major tournament or uh beat a couple of the gods like none of them did any of that um but it, it i guess if you go by longevity and consistency it's probably Dreffen because i mean he's still playing at a very high level today uh for me i think dark rain had the arguably like the peak tournament results because he got like top eight at what like pound three he got like top 12 at pound four he was up there just like he won a tipped off i'll have to check on his path he won a tipped off over cobalt and hungry box that that's Mm -hmm. no fucking joke and like he's a crew battle legend probably the most influential just because of like his his flair so that is a consideration although he stopped (laughs) playing so long ago that like i even i i'm the biggest dark rain fan even i probably can't give him number one just because he hasn't been active for like five or six years um and then duck i think has the overall best like yearly rankings and the consistency in that aspect like several top 20 like miom mpgr finishes yeah like i i know dreffen dreffen beat Azen and mujiking and like had some pretty uh pretty great placements at majors like back in his heyday and i know he's been around for the longest of them but i do think there's something to be said about duck being top 15 in the world for like 3 years beating lefen mm-hmm. you know like beating hungrybox and whatnot his metagame impact with, with samus yeah. of course yeah, yeah. like a, a pioneering a character definitely a, a lot of credit goes to him for that uh coming a long way from his days of just wanting to be better than a rat mm-hmm. uh, but like oh yeah he won pat's house too over 
like Sfat, Zane, and a bunch of other yeah people. He, so like that—that that is a three, pretty I big think, tournament yeah. win. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you know between. It's so tough to say, you know, I try to measure things relative to their era because I don't think it's fair to measure just like flatly which player would beat which, like if you literally just like warped them into a situation right now with no practice or context or context yeah. or anything. It's I don't like that. Yeah. yeah. If, also, if Doug, I, Doug probably, uh, he probably has the best performance versus the gods, although I don't know how much weight you put into that because he's still like obviously he doesn't have winning records versus the gods but he's like taken a set off hungry box he i believe he's taken multiple games off of every single god so there is that well, i think the, i think the multiple sets off leffen would mean more than just take yeah oh yeah, yeah, yeah i forgot <laughs> this stuff feels like such a distant memory when he was just spanking leffen at every other uh like regional or national event i know it was so awesome wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> he even had that whole uh that diss track for, for his summit hype video. He didn't get into that summit, but I loved it. He had the quack on it. It's just in a duck suit. KGH is watching like, somebody needs to beat this kid. <laughs> somebody, so good. somebody shut this guy up, please. Yeah, I thought, I I, I love that. I, I thought it was great. Um, You know, I think if I were to guess, I would probably go Drefen, Dark Rain, Duck in that order, just cause I, I tend to value longevity a lot. So I think, it's only fair that I, I give it to Drevin because of his mix of peak and, you know, how long, like he made Summit two years ago, dude. Like, how, that's so. Yeah, he's he's come such a long way, too. I Look, my Falcon bias, I'm setting aside. My Michigan bias, I'm setting aside. I, I have to agree with you. I think Drevin probably has the overall best body of work. Uh, and it's it feels so weird to say that. Best Midwest melee player of all time, Drevin, but when you look at all of the factors, I think it might be true. Well, I think Dreffen figuring out Hanky Panky and turning turning the corner on him and regaining his throne of Ohio is truly the... Wait, it, did he I, ever actually turn the corner on him, or did yeah, Hanky Well, the way <laughs> Hanky puts it is that Dreffen, quote-unquote, learned how to play neutral, or learned oh. how to play actual neutral, and then, like... Oh. After the, the two became more competitive, Dreffen started beating him solidly after that. And then I did then not Hanky know that playing. That that adds that adds to his reasons uh for yeah. sure. If you that had seen the melee stat or if you remember the melee oh. stats, <laughs> then you'll remember that oh, Hanky no. had a he had a uh, file on his computer called notes.txt, <laughs> which was just oh, him like <laughs> it it was him just like he'd beat Dreffen and then update the file every week by watching <laughs> to make sure that he'd just keep beating him nonstop. But then oh, apparently it became God. tougher to study Dreffen once once again. He learned to play quote unquote actual neutral. I would love to see like an audit log of how that file evolved and like and maybe there's some date a couple years ago where he was like, uh he's starting to learn like a real human being. I don't know what to do anymore. Yeah, so I think, you know, like so Dreffen, Dark Rain, Duck. I think we're, I think we're in agreement on on that order. Sounds about right. You know, after that, I think it gets so interesting because you you got your you got your combination of like top hundred players or players who who are deep into brackets at nationals. Like I I I wrote a thread on this a while ago. You you got like Dope, Eddie, Tank, Kells, KGH, oh. Ginger, Abate, Kalamazoo, Kish Cubed. If yeah. you're if you're old school. 
Chiano, you know, even a even a Boo, I think is deserves to be in that conversation. Mm-hmm. It's it's really tough. Like I don't know who. It's got to yeah, be Kels though, right? Like it's, it's murky. I would say probably Kels, although, man, I love Kels to death, but like he dominated the Midwest for so long, and then any time a national tournament would come along, he he like maybe some jitters would set in, and he wouldn't do as well as we we thought he'd do. Um, so. I think he he was just lacking the the big national performance that like made him stand out. But yeah, he dominated us for years and years. Like Dark Rain Duck, we we could not beat him for a while. You want to hear a very tragic story about Kells? <laughs> a tragic story. What's up? So at a, a a big tournament in I forget if it was Washington or Cal, some West Coast tournament, right? Rule Six Regional might have been Washington. I I forget. Anyways, uh-huh. so. Excuse me. Mango is getting ready for his match against Bladewise, right? This is in winner's bracket. Mango ends up winning the tournament regardless. But he's but supposedly, this is what my little birdie told me, Mango is getting so annoyed that Kells kept talking up the Midwest and how much better that the region was <laughs> was becoming that he basically just ran at Bladewise like at the same cadence, like basically gifted him like free stocks in their winner's bracket match. He lost to Bladewise so that he could play Kells and losers, oh, beat him, and then he God. ended up winning this the tournament. This is Rule 6 Regional, Rule 6 Regional, July 2012. I was at that tournament. <laughs> uh, Can you confirm or deny that the story is true? I can't confirm it, but everything makes sense now. Because <laughs> I was like, how why, like, why did Ma- how did Mango lose here? And then, oh, shit, Mango and Kells are playing in losers bracket. I, I sorry, Kelly. I guess your tournament run is ending here. <laughs> oh my god! I I did not know the backstory to that. That's yeah. I, I I that's so believable. Honestly, <laughs> it's very cursed. <laughs> and then Mango brings it back. Does he win the tournament? It, it was him. Yeah, he, at the end, right? Yeah, he oh, wins the tournament. Jesus Christ! Oh, Mango, just you just had to flex. On my boy Kells. Well, I think I think to to make this discussion a little more interesting, like if it's not Kells at number four, it's it's what like one of Ginger, uh, Eddie, Dope, like KJH uh, even. Dude, I don't I don't even know. Maybe maybe Ginger at this point because he he has a couple major top eights under his belt and he's he's just so good right now. Dope. I mean, I love Dope. I love Eddie, but like it, it's been literal a, a decade plus since they were like major tournament threats. So I don't know if we can throw their hat in the ring anymore. I miss Kells. I think uh, that guy was number one in his region, like consecutively for I think as long as anyone like ever like you remember the- those old Smashboards rankings that it w- it wasn't based on ELO or anything. It was based on like uh just a, a numeric numerical data like uh i don't, I don't know what the term for i know i know what you're talking about kels like was like number of tournament wins submitted yeah, he was like number and like 12 kels or... formed every local so he was like number six in the world or something above yeah 12 yeah no i i remember i think it was in like 2012 or something kels was yeah. very high on i think like i i i had a like idea for for doing something on this that just never came to fruition but like I remember looking at like the longest local reigns of of like an active player who was number one, right? So like mm-hmm. this was counting even inactive seasons against them. Like if you were inactive for a season, like 
that was the end of your reign, right? Mm -hmm. I think like the only potential threat I think to Kells's decade plus of dominance in Chicago was a uh, like is maybe like Amsa in the Netherlands, and I think there were years where Amsa like wasn't wasn't active. So I think Kells might have literally been number one in his region longer than anyone in melee history. <laughs> he might be. That's uh, this is bringing back this very tragic image in my mind of oh really taking a game off Kells, thinking he's gonna win, and then he just loses the next three games and walks off and just like with this sad look on his face, like thought I had him this time. Uh, but uh, no, that extends my record versus him to zero and twenty-eight. Well. <laughs> We'll try on the 29th try. One of my favorite Kel sets ever is when Gravy showed up to Illinois to, or to the Midwest. I forget if it was in Illinois or if it was at like another big tournament. But when, yeah. yeah, when Gravy showed up and I think Gravy actually beat him in winners and was kind of like feeling himself for a little bit. And Kels went chic and losers and just like destroyed him like needle camp tech chase oh. you know kill you mob stage at low it was like the quintessential chic versus captain falcon set of the era i, I remember oh that, that's probably overstating chic. it but tells a chic is the weirdest chic in the world because it was literally born out of a hatred for uh like falcon and marth in the midwest mm -hmm. and and kelly just putting his foot down and being like I think I'm better than you, but my fox is off, so I'm just gonna go chic and abuse the shit out of all of her good moves, and I'm gonna beat you. There has to be some kind of value because it's not like Illinois was bad. Like, like Chicago had good players. Oh, it wasn't Dark. bad. It's just like one of those things where some somebody gets out in front, and I think they have there's like just this mental block against them because like they have the head to head matchup versus you know, all the little habits, right? I mean, like Dart, Dark Atma, Aurelia, obviously. Like when Michael was becoming a star in Chicago, the guy who was beating him every week was still Kells. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He's he's got to come back. the The Champagne Kids are running things too far. <laughs> no, I, I, no, I'm just kidding. I I, I love Zamu and the Champagne people. I just uh, I'm just a big Kells fan. I, I love the idea of a top player who's just beloved by his local scene never like bored of playing them or whatever i i think there's you know what i'm gonna put kells at number four in the greatest midwest players. yeah feel... yeah that feels right to me as well and i think for number five i i mentioned some of the other names like ginger eddie kjh dope uh has kazu reached that stratosphere for you yet oh that's kind of interesting because he's like because he's not in the Midwest, he hasn't been for a number of years. Yeah, so how do you count that? It's kind of like a, uh, it's like a dark atmosphere situation. Do you count yeah. him as a Midwest player or a California player? I, well, I for what know. it's worth, I don't count face roll as Midwest at this point. Oh, okay, right. So maybe, but yeah, if maybe you go by down. like where they grew, like they grew up as a Smash player, and then where they are now, Kazu is definitely up there as well. What about Tank? Tink has to be the meme pick here, right? Like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I've Tink... never, I've never seen someone. I don't know how to even describe Tink. Like, he's such an enigma of, of Midwest melee. He's so funny too. I love that guy. But like, he ha has the highest highs and the lowest lows. Such a talented player, but like sometimes he would just crash out for no reason. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like Tink has a lot more in-region accomplishments than necessarily like on the on the bigger stage. And he could have been was... S2J. Big House won, he had S2J dead to rights. He was up game three, two stocks to one. S2J was at like 70%. But oh god, I think I remember. Oh, was Tink playing was it like Fox Fox uh, Falcon or was he playing Mars? I think he actually went chic. He he tried to pull a Kells on him. He he went chic versus <laughs> S2J and it, it almost worked, but he just couldn't get that last stock. We'd be t having a much different conversation right now, I feel like, if Tink had beaten S2J that year. <laughs> yeah. Sent I, S2J in like ninth place at Big House One. Can you imagine? That would, that's actually like. Imagine the Smashboards results thread, Chicago versus SoCal. With that in, 2011, like. not, in 2011, nonetheless. God, yeah. dude, like, like I, 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 I love Hanky, Hanky's run at the Big House too. I'm a huge Hanky fan. But if you think about it, like in a weird way, wasn't like I guess people knew of him at the time, but like Vans coming coming out and getting th getting third and making it to oh. winners fi finals yeah. was pretty crazy at the first Big House. Yeah, that was unexpected. I think when we were seeding that event, we were like, "Wait, who gets the number one seed here?" We just literally have no idea. Canada, Chicago, and SoCal. This is a mix of like attendees. The, the composition has not been seen ever. So like, we don't know who's been improving faster than the other. All right. I think I have my top five. I think it's Dreffen. I think it's Dark Rain. Duck. You go Kells. And then I think while it's close between a ton of the other people, because of his metagame impact and I think his, his way of like pushing Fox, I... I feel obligated to put KJH in there, even though I know he's not active as a competitor Ooh, right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I almost forgot about KJH. He, I mean, he he had a stretch where he was on fire and like taking the top players. He would always be like the, the person who took the top player to game five last hit. And uh, like somehow he, sometimes he got it, sometimes he didn't. But like uh, the way he was moving and like innovating with Fox, people had not seen like half the shit he was doing before. So it is pretty terrifying for, for most of his opponents, I would imagine. Yeah. And I mean, even just like his accomplishments as a competitor, like being top 30 for three years or so, like that's, that's no, that's no joke. And I think like, mm -hmm. I truly think what he did with Fox is like, as is like one, one of the most revolutionary things for the, for the character, I think moved forward. And, and he's still an example and his like all the stuff. I don't know how much that really factors into like a competitive discussion, but at least for contributions to the metagame and backed by his own success. I think I think KJH is a very slept on argument for being a top five Midwesterner. I respect that a lot. I will go with the same top four and I'll, I think Ginger probably deserves number five at this point. He's been so good for so long now. Yeah, that's true. I think I, I think like especially the last like two and a half years, I think he's yeah. really um, yeah, I, I, I would not, I would not balk at any, uh, is that the correct word? I would not sure. balk or I would not make a bad face <laughs> at, at picking, at picking ginger number five. All right. So I guess that leads us into the last portion of the show. We'll, we'll try to make this quick. I really appreciate your time. I think, I think we, you, we've been going at it for a bit longer than we expected, but not, that's fine. Usually, I'm not a streamer or a commentator, so usually I like I run out of gas after like 90 minutes. But this has been really fun. It's it's always really fun to like nerd out about melee history with uh, with with the homie. So mm -hmm. I, I'm down to answer questions. All right, here's one that I think you will appreciate. It's from a patron, hmm. Tunox. 
which is, well, let me just rephrase this. Which story is your personal favorite from your entry on the Michigan Grime PR? Oh, that is, it's a hard hitting question. I think we're out of time, guys. (laughs) 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 We're going to wrap it up. (laughs) Okay. uh, Michigan Melee Grime PR. This for people don't, who don't know, there's this old Smashboards thread, and it's just like these funny incidents that people do, like outside of the game. And you just look up Michigan Melee Grind PR. Uh, I would say my favorite. This kind of encapsulates a, a couple of the events, <laughs> that, like that I did. Was um, I I tweeted about how excited I was to pick up Armada from the airport for Big House, and then I immediately texted uh, Gamero and um and schmitty to figure out who among them was going to go pick up armada from the big house uh, from the airport <laughs> it, it kind of is it's like it, i get that vibe from like um I, I don't know if you ever watched like tropic thunder but tom cruise yeah. is like he, he's like uh, livid on the phone versus some unknown terrorist that he has never talked to and then at the end he he slams he like hangs up the phone and he tells his assistant find out who that was <laughs> well, let me follow that up then with a with another question. What's your personal favorite story from any entry on the Michigan Grime PR? Oh, oh my God! That that there's so many. I need to I need to look this up. I need to oh my, my God! I, I want to answer this honestly. The regional, I, I mean, you could just name the first one that comes into mind. No, no, I, I give me, give me a second. <laughs> you got to make sure it's stream appropriate, though. That's, that's my yeah, I'll, I'll, everything on this is stream appropriate. Okay. Um, oh my God. There was one by, there's one, <laughs> Rob, by you gotta make it quick. there's one by Heartstrings that was, it's maybe my favorite. I just can't find it because he has such a long entry because he's just, I guess, that grimy of a guy. Uh, <laughs> apparently, okay, apparently they were playing on um, a different uh, setting, like 0.9. Uh, shit, what is this called? Why am I blanking on this? Uh, what is that setting in Melee? Uh, the damage ratio? Yeah, yeah, damage ratio. 0.9 damage ratio. And... He uh, did not get. He, he got knocked down by Shine, as Marth or Sheik. I don't remember. And then afterwards, he just like runs laps around the room and claims, "My smashed DI is out of this fucking world." Even though it's just like a zero point nine damage ratio. Oh thing. my god, that's that's a lot, that's really funny. Yeah. Okay, here's a good one from another patron stock. Juggle Guy, how do you feel about almost losing a set to Calvar's Ness? And would you do a run back? Oh my god, this is that Shine, right? Yeah. I vaguely remember this. By the way, I didn't know who Calvar was. Like, um, I don't know if he was already a really good like a top 100 player back then. And I don't uh, he know wasn't top he was. 100, but he was pretty solid. Okay, yeah. He's like, I was like, wait a minute, this guy's going Ness. I uh, okay. That's cool. I've never played this matchup in my life, but how hard can it be? And then he was like, he was very good. <laughs> so like, I was sweating for sure. Like I didn't know, 
I wasn't like crowd canceling his dash attack. I think that was my biggest issue. So like I would just get popped up for free combos. Uh, I would run it back versus him. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. Here's a question from another patron, Vlerk. To Juggle Guy, do you think that with time, regional crew battles have lost or gained popularity or importance? Slash, how much do you feel like they're a staple of the big house? Mm, I think regional crews have lost importance because um, because of the advent of Twitch and just streaming and Twitter, I feel like the the melee scene is a little bit more homogenous these days in terms of like playing styles and uh, knowledge transfer of random technology that a character might develop and, and lab out. So I think there's less of like a regional flair to somebody's play style now than ever before. And that that's kind of evident in in like the the matches you see. So there's not like it used to be the Midwest was known for like mind games, whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> like East Coast was good at like camping. West Coast was good at uh, being aggressive. But I feel like it's all kind of melded into one really like solid play style these days. So like in, in, in terms of that, I think regional Cruz has lost a little bit of his luster, but um, I think if there's a major tournament that has everybody like represented, like the, the best players from each region are actually there, then crew battles become hype again. But it takes like a critical mass of those players to make it even worth it in the first place. That's an interesting point you bring up, especially about the variety of play styles being kind of the draw of crew battles. I, I hadn't thought of yeah. that before. Yeah. Here's another one from Flurk. Underrated aspect, or what is an underrated aspect of making a tournament a good experience? Mm, most underrated aspects to me is you got to make sure wobbling is banned, first of all. Let's get that out of the way. Uh, <laughs> no complaints no, uh, here. <laughs> this is a non-adversary. This is a non-critical interview. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I, actually, though, like everybody, everybody plays this game for a different reason. As a TO, I think it's important to keep in mind that not every attendee at your tournament is going to be the person who's trying to grind friendlies and then make their way to the top of the tournament bracket and try to win the tournaments. That, that's literally a tiny fraction of the attendees that you're dealing with. So like, it's important to put on activities for people to do after they're knocked out. And I'm not just talking like literally not even smash activities, other things around the venue, at least for like a larger regional to national level event um and like it, that that start like the planning for that should start from the moment you get the venue and you you think about like what you can do around it with the floor plan and the activities that you can um you can get people to part participate in okay that's a pretty good answer uh now i, I have a question for you about the upcoming two questions we'll conclude the show a question on, about a question yeah or we'll conclude right. this segment on the question me, about a question me. So the question about a question is, do you want the serious one first or do you want the goofy one first? <laughs> uh, serious one first. Okay. This one is juicy. Do oh, you God. see the future big houses being ran on monitor? If I remember correctly, mm -hmm. there were some monitor friendly setups at the big house nine. Has your yeah. stance changed since then? This comes from Illinois fizz. Oh, that is a hard hitter for sure. Um, I am in favor of 
I'm in favor of a logistical solution that keeps us sustainable without pissing off too many people. So if, if, if whatever market research we've done, okay, like polls or like surveys after events has indicated people are generally okay with monitors, uh, like the majority of people, but if, if things actually don't pan out that way and like CRTs are still like, we'll, we can stick with CRTs, but it's, it's just not a sustainable thing. So like eventually my philosophy is if you're going to go to it eventually, you might as well do that a little bit sooner than later. And it would be like, people have no idea how much of a headache CRT TVs are to TOs. It like, think about unloading that shit off the truck and all the pallets and stuff. It's like, it's, it's twice as bad as you might imagine. So. Well, if, what about the small ones, like the Hello Kitty CRTs or something? <laughs> the Hello Kitty ones? Oh, those are fine. I don't know if I feel great asking like two top 100 players to go play their tournament set on that, though. And But you could say the same about monitors. If it's not like a robust, very tested setup, then it'd be kind of sus. So, well, uh, I will sorry, for, sorry for dodging another question, but I, I, I yeah. think... Eventually, no, you gave we're a... have to do that, but I don't know if it's going to happen in the next year or like a few years from now. I don't know. Well, I'll say that I think the beginning of your answer sounded very much like a, oh, well, we should let the states decide it. But I think <laughs> you, you gave a bit more of a concrete answer, and I appreciate that. One thing, uh, one thing I will say is that I think when it comes to evaluating monitors versus CRTs, the... I personally just like, I like playing on CRTs more than playing on monitors. I will not be super thrilled if the scene moves towards monitors, but I will say like, I we've been in a pandemic for about a year and a half. Most of us play on monitor now just as the standard. Um, I can't speak for the rest of Melee stats. I would be a little saddened if we didn't use CRTs coming back, but if it truly is easier logistically, for TOs to just move to monitor and it's easier to plan around fine, whatever, you know, like <laughs> I, I like if, but, but I want TOs to be honest about it. I, I appreciate you bringing that up just as like a point of reference for managing an event easier. If you think that this is the case, um, what I don't, the only thing I don't like is when people talk about monitors being the exact same as CRT or better than CRT and or making right. some ludicrous, like instantly, falsifiable claim and then just having it like like i remember uh there there's some i, I don't want to like name names here but there's like a company a while back like making making monitor making monitors and stuff claiming that it was the same as like crt or whatever and cadano just like went in on these people and they and they <laughs> never and like they just never responded to it and God, like, I, there's nothing like more terrifying than a cadano essay response to one of your posts <laughs> Yeah, dude. If only deodorant companies had the same kind of pressure <laughs> from Cadano. <laughs> you know, that guy makes his own deodorant and just like he has his own like pillow and stuff. I, th I think I heard. Yeah, I didn't know if someone was joking. Apparently, it's true, huh? No. Yeah, I've never bought it. Apparently, it's really good. <laughs> Who knows? But anyways, okay. No, I, I appreciate your honest honesty on the answer. And I appreciate you going straight to logistics and straight toward like your preferences versus saying that there's no difference or just outright either way i'll i'll communicate it before registration opens i won't pull like a 180 last second yes that's good all right here's the here's the silly one question for juggle guy which would you prefer to happen michigan to beat ohio state this year or mango to win the next big house 
Well, Mango's won four big houses already. I think uh, I can rely on that happening at least one more time in the next three years. I can't say the same about Michigan football versus Ohio State, so I'm going to have to go. <laughs> We've literally lost like 15 out of the last 16 years, so I'm going to have to go with Michigan football beating Ohio State. Also, I have a slap bet on the line. I, me and uh, a local named Chad made a slap bet like five years ago when Harbaugh was hired. I was like, Harbaugh's going to take us to the playoffs within like his first six years. And that has gone extremely poorly for me. We have not even sniffed the playoff. And I need to win my slap bet. Damn. I have a, I have a follow-up to that then, actually. Between... Actually, th this is just in general. We can go into this just for a little bit later. But um, which team are you rooting for in the in pro? I know you're a football fan, an American football fan, same as me. Which team do you root for right now? Oh, all right. So I'm from Michigan. The Lions are a lost cause. I'm not going to pretend <laughs> otherwise. I've never rooted for the Lions. Uh, Tom Brady is from the University of Michigan. So... I'm part of a, a small but enthusiastic contingent of Michigan people who have been rooting for the Patriots uh, ever since Tom Brady has been on the Patriots. And some of them, I don't know, maybe they stuck with the Patriots. Who knows? But I, I'm a fan of Tom Brady. I don't really care about what company he's, he's working for, what organization he's from. I follow the employee, not the company. Oh, I'm rooting for the Buccaneers. Uh, yeah, yeah. Way to way to flip that on me, rooting for the employee. And not I have to be me. brutally honest. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're, you're rooting for the. So you must have been very happy earlier this year, then. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> okay, but but what How if Bill Belichick feel right now? He's got to be in God, the okay. shitter. Well, let me ask you one thing then. What if the Lions magically off? Like, let's say Jared Goff just discovers. A new form of himself and the lions make the nfc conference game like, oh do, you're and, saying and the lions play the bucks in the oh my god in, in the like conference championship whatever yeah, this, god this, this is so is unthinkable like, <laughs> yo look there was once a time when um when s2j played duck for ninth place at every single major and guess who your boy rooted for <laughs> I was like, fuck Michigan pride. Let's go, S2J. Let's go, Johnny. <laughs> That's so horrible. Why would you refer S2J against Doug? I, I'm shameless. I, my Falcon pride just exceeds my regional pride. Just regional and fret. Just a I love friend. Johnny. I love Johnny. But I would do the same thing. I would root for... Uh, I can't pretend to be a band... Like, it, I'm just a bandwagon Lions fan at that point. I have to own the fact that I've never rooted for the Lions and never will. Probably, you know, so. in a you know, in a grotesque way, I almost respect that. <laughs> <laughs> right, but I almost respect the ability not just to root for the Bucks over the Lions, even if they were good, but uh, rooting for S2J in an incredibly lopsided rivalry <laughs> over your friend. Maybe that's that's the grime PR answer that somebody <laughs> was looking for. Literally yeah. rooted for S2J over hometown hero Duck at multiple ninth place matches at majors. So. Uh... <laughs> I, I also, think when we went to Chicago, I carpooled to Chicago with Duck. He played Dark Rain in bracket. I was like, let's go, Dark Rain. Let's go fuck him up. Yeah. 
Can you, I, I, can you imagine me doing that? Like at the next major YCZ plays Zane or like, or Ambi Sinister plays Zane or something. And like Zane is like in the middle of a combo. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> can you imagine that? Oh no. All right. I, I think this is a, so we're near the end of the show. Once again, I really appreciate your time. Uh, it's just, it's been a blast talking to you. Um, I can't wait to have these same conversations at, at the next major we both go to. Dude, but uh, yes. for the se- for the second to last part, this is much shorter than the other segments, but um, we usually do a nice little thing where in a way of trying to remind the viewers and listeners that we're human beings with interests outside of Melee, we, we just talk a little bit about like what we've been doing outside the scene. And given that you've been mostly in the shadows for the last, you know, 16 months or, or whatever, um, why don't you talk about, you know, just for like a minute or two about like what you've been, what you've been doing, like, you know, in your life, what new hobbies you've acquired or like what, what you've been reading or whatnot. Sure. Um, I, I've always really enjoyed like the net based sports, tennis, volleyball, badminton. So like I, I, I recently got into badminton a little bit more. I've been playing with some homies mm-hmm. uh, and like, I'm really appreciating the differences between, because like I, I try to play it a little bit like tennis and then it's like that it doesn't work at all. So like there, there's more of like a drop shot versus long, like there, there's just a lot of different angles to it. And then uh, volleyball, I, I've started, uh, I've started learning how to set which is really fun. I used to be like, uh, just, just pass and hit, uh, but setting is like, that's like the TO of the team and th- they control, uh, the, like all of the plays and what happens, uh, like a back set, front set, a one set or whatever. So I I've been trying to, to, to change like my role in the usual, uh, in the usual volleyball group a little bit more. And that's been really fun. Like the indoor venues just opened up about a month ago, uh, in Michigan. So, I was just playing sand volleyball for a while, but I like indoor so much more and it's been really fun to get back to that. And uh, my goal is to become a reasonable setter in time for the students to come back in three weeks. And then like once there's a bunch of people back on the gym, it'll be a fun time organizing those groups together. That's really awesome. Um, I guess for me, I we were talking football before. We're before football season starts in about a month. Uh, for people who've been listening to the show but don't know me that well, or for somehow, um, somehow I guess, yeah, I actually love American football. Like it's my, I would say I would genuinely say it's one of the only things I have as much knowledge about in terms of like results and history as melee. Like when it, before getting before getting into melee, my dream was to be a football sports writer. And oh I, my god, I have a question for you. Um, speaking mm-hmm. of Jeff, we were talking about Jeopardy uh, earlier. Like if you if you went on to Jeopardy, what would be like your three best categories? Just normal normal Jeopardy, not melee Jeopardy. Well, I would say like melee, the NFL, and NBA probably, or maybe or maybe something on like international politics. I, I don't know. It's 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 tough mm-hmm. to say, but I think but I think the NFL history would would definitely be up there for sure. And what are your what are your three worst categories that you don't want to see on the Jeopardy board? Uh, uh literally anything to do with animals, <laughs> which is you never probably- took biology like anything to do with animals or like biology or or like science natural sciences (laughs) just that's not which is probably not good because i'm i'm getting my dog next week so oh you're getting a dog yeah uh his name's arnold he's a 
say dachshund terrier mix Ooh, you so you better learn up yeah i i learned up by knowing what a dachshund and what a terrier <laughs> look like oh my god i was pronouncing dachshund wrong for like 90 percent of my life that's that's really funny yeah i mean i saw it spelled out and i i just had no no idea how to say it but i kept uh hearing my spouse they're, say they're dachshund. Cute, though. I'm, I'm excited yeah like a for little you. Like a little chiller rat dog. That's it. That's yeah. all I want. Anyways, so I, I guess we're at the end of our show right now. It's It's been super fun. Where can the viewers and listeners follow you and whatever you're up to? Oh, I, I'm at Juggle Rob on Twitter. And that is it. <laughs> you're expecting well, this laundry list of like socials? No, I don't stream. Uh, just at Juggle Rob. Well, if you like shows like Waiting for Game, and if you like Melee Stats Films or Monday Morning Marth or When's Melee, you can follow the Melee Stats official Twitter at Melee Stats dot or at Melee Stats Pod. You can follow me individually at Edwin underscore Budding. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel if you really like the kind of films we put out. This week we released a new film, Mute Game versus Hungry Box, the worst set of all time. Um, spend a lot of time on that one it's a bit of a different format than usual it's just a little over five minutes but we hope you enjoy it we worked really hard on it um if you like written content about melee you can go to meleestats.co to read monday morning marth which is my weekly column every monday or you can follow what's going on in the in the upcoming weekend every friday for when's melee written by our new staff writer pikachu942 she's been killing it with Ooh. that series, she's been doing such a wonderful job. Really proud of her. Um, if you want to know what's going on in Melee the night before and just catch up on results, obviously you can just check our Twitter for our Last Night in Melee edition, or excuse me, our Last Night in Melee series. If you like this show and you want to listen to past episodes, you can go to Melee Stats Archives on YouTube where you can catch previous Waiting for Game episodes or just check out this one again. I believe that just about covers all the links. No, wait, no, there's one more important one, which is the one that gives us money. If you like Melee Stats and you like all the content you do and you got a few dollars to show some support, go to patreon.com slash Melee Stats. Your support goes a really long way. It helps us continue uh, doing what we love a lot for a scene that we love a lot and helping us do more. So with that said... I want to thank you, Juggle Guy, for joining the show, for doing this wonderful one-on-one -on -one interview with me. I think it's going to be great for the listeners and the viewers. And I want to thank everyone who tuned in to the show. And I hope you got what I hope you got everything that you were looking for. So with that said, good night, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye.